0: Uh, wow, worship team! Thank y'all so much. That was great. And a good amount of you guys looked like awake and alive, not just corpses we propped up in the aisles. That was awesome. That, that effect of like living people was so cool. I don't know how y'all pulled that off. Um, I love that, and I love that it was it really uh, meshes really well with our sermon series. So we've been doing the sermon series. Brad made this really long title friendship unity and the nuance of relationships colon Jesus's heart for people and for me I think the thing that really sticks out to me is that Jesus' heart for people part kind of gets put at the end there but for this sermon and I think just this whole series I would say sort of in your mind even though it's in the end of this long thing make that the forefront of how you view these these sermons we're going to try to reference Jesus a lot, also our own experiences, our own friendships. But Jesus' heart for people I think should be one of the biggest things we look to as a guideline for friendship. So mine's going to be kind of hitting on that today. The next few sermons are going to be kind of in this section of sermons about starting friendships. So they're going to loosely, I mean, one thing that's hard about friendships is it's, it's hard to just like parse things out in a really neat, orderly way. Uh, We don't really approach friendships in a calculated robotic way, necessarily, but we want to group things in a somewhat understandable format. And the next few will be kind of about the beginning of friendships, um, starting friendships. Some of y'all's questions y'all submitted on the survey had to do with that. So um, it also kind of loops in expectations that should come with friendships um, and how friendships kind of change at different points in our life cycle. And so the next sort of few sermons will be sort of touching on those questions you guys had. So one of the first things I want to emphasize about that series, though, is just that the Jesus heart for people thing should be front of mind for us. Um, And we'll be doing some of that today. But, you know, like I said, keep that in front of mind the whole series. So um, how do we actually start our friendships? Um, Most of us probably don't have a really strong idea. It's maybe been pretty random, depending on the friendship. Um, but one thing I, I want to kind of start as an idea that's pretty common in our community, I want to see who could help me finish this phrase. One on one is. How it's done. Nice, how it's done. So if you're confused, just know that that phrase, which used elsewhere might be confusing, is about friendships, okay? So one on one is how it's done. If you put that on a t shirt, like one of our church members did one time, and you wear it around, people don't know you're talking about friendship. And they're a little confused. But that is a saying that has been used in our community. It's an axiom in our focus, uh, campus ministry, and also in our churches. Just the idea that that's how we should approach ministry. That's how we should approach friendships in a one-on-one way. So if you came through Focus, or if you're new to Focus, you'll probably hear about that soon. Or if you're new to our churches, we're talking about it now. So now you've heard it. But um, it's, it's something that we're going to be weaving into this series a lot. So uh, I think one of the things I think about is like a practical way to put that in sort of non-religious language is just that it's a reminder to err toward a qualitative approach in friendship and in ministry rather than a quantitative one. So we aren't just trying to have five minute interactions with hundreds of people. We are trying to get quality time with people. That's, That's how most of us would define friendship anyway. We don't think of it as like, you know, just your list of Facebook friends. That makes sense? So that's one of the non-religious ways I would put that. Um, <clears throat> but it's not about trying to just be efficient, right? If, if we were trying to approach friendship in an efficient way, it would maybe look like um, five minutes with a person one time and moving on. There's, a, there's like about seven billion people. We've gotta get with it, We've gotta be productive. But no, we're saying we wanna have a qualitative, quality time approach with friendships and with ministry um and one of the questions we got several questions we got on the survey were about how friendships change from like being a college student to being an adult once you graduated and this is something that i want to say uh shouldn't change the one-on-one is how it's done i don't think that's something i don't know why that kind of seems for some of us like it was only a college student thing it's the way to approach ministry and friendship in general and just as an aside when we say adults around here, we basically mean non-students. Some people don't love that language, um, but we don't want to just call people non-students. It's kind of weird to define anyone by what they're not, but we're not like, all the non-men are gonna have an event, and then all the non-women are gonna have an event. So we're not trying to say college students aren't adults. It's just the easiest way to say who we're talking about. Most churches don't have the demographic we've got. We've got a pretty unique demographic. So we have to have some word to say something that's trying to parse out people who are not students. So if we say adults, that's what we mean. Don't take offense. But uh, that's something thing I want to to say to you. You've heard it said, one-on-one is how it's done. But I say, one-on-one is still how it's done. That's just, I don't know, I really know why, but I feel like in our adult ministry, that really has dropped off for a lot of people. It just is not a thing. It, it feels like maybe it's only something for for college students. So I just wanna say that more clearly than necessary. Um, And so if you're an adult, let that be a reminder. But if you're a student, have assurance that the type of approach you have in ministry right now, some things will change, but this is something that won't. So even though the context of life, once you've graduated college looks super different, there's a lot of uncertainties there, there's things you're doing right now, your approach to friendships, your approach to ministry, uh, that will stay the same. So you don't have to totally like throw out the handbook which is good news. So, I think one of the biggest barriers though to being told something, like one-on-one is how it's done, and then actually believing it and actually doing it is knowing why. Like, we can be told something, have had it repeated to us many, many times, but not really know why, and I think that's the reason that we don't do something. Just like if someone's telling you, hey, will you go outside? But they don't tell you there's a fire. (laughs) then that's a big problem. That's, that's important information. That's a really good reason to go outside. So, uh, what we're gonna talk about today is a little bit of the why behind one-on-one. Why is one-on-one a good way to start your friendships? Um, one of the things, when I was writing this, have you guys ever seen that Vine, I'm to be dating myself a little bit, where they just take the piece, uh, where this preacher just says why over and over? But he said, yeah, he says it's like, why, why, why. And they just took only that sound bite over and over and cut out everything else from the sermon. And it sounds so strange. And now I can't, like, get that out of my head. If you haven't seen it, look it up. And now it's in your head, too. Sorry for the recording. Oh, Oh, really? I've seen that vine a lot. There's several vines I've seen more times than I care to admit. Okay, so... So we're going to be looking at how Jesus approached his time with people. Like I said at the beginning, Jesus' heart for people. Why not see how he actually demonstrated his heart for people in his life? So we've got a really good, diverse selection of the types of interactions Jesus had, Um, and there's many significant ones where he initiates with people. So my first point is just that Jesus initiated with people. Obviously there's other situations where people came up to him and stuff, but we've got really good uh, stories about how he initiated with people. So we're gonna look at a couple of those today. There's some obvious ones, like when he called the disciples, he goes to them, like say just um, Peter, Andrew, James and John, fishermen. And he goes just while they're working and calls them to come follow him, and they do. Those are some of the more obvious ones. And of course they formed a strong friendship over time. But there's two other stories that were on my mind as I was thinking about Jesus' heart for people that I want us to look at today. And the first is the story that I think a lot of us are familiar with, Zacchaeus, in Luke chapter 19. I'm gonna read that story, it's pretty quick, but you can follow along if you'd like. Um, Luke 19, chapter, uh, verse one. <clears throat> he entered Jericho, was passing through. There was a man, a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So, running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him. Because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus really initiates with Zacchaeus, going over to the tree that he's in. Um, we're given some context too that, you know, people were not happy about that. <laughs> they were like, why are you hanging out with Zacchaeus? He's a tax collector. You've gone to stay with a simple man. But that did not stop Jesus. Of course, many things, many cultural norms and whatever else, Jesus just bulldozed over. But um, it would have been really easy to not initiate with somebody like Zacchaeus. Um, And yet, clearly, it was worth it. So we're going to talk more about the kind of change that happened in Zacchaeus' life in a second. But to start out, just take that into your mind. Jesus went out of his way to call down a guy from a tree to go over to his house, invite himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And and that's uh, an example we have of Jesus. The next I want to share is in John chapter 4. This is the story of the uh, Samaritan woman. Sorry, I was just seeing those questions like that. Um, John chapter four, if you wanna follow along, it's the story of the Samaritan woman. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and he was saying this to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and so did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband. She answered, You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus told her, Believe me, woman. An hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He's called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jug, jar, went to town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So they left town and made their way to him. <clears throat> so we'll talk a little bit more about these, the details of this interaction in a little bit, but one of the things I want to note here too is that Jesus went out of his way to talk to someone who not only didn't have to talk to, um, but culturally it was an odd thing for him to do as well. So he initiated with this woman and had a dialogue with her a complete stranger that um, clearly was not necessarily very welcoming to his speaking to her, right, from the beginning. Um, And then what what ensues later, we'll talk about my next point, but I just want to start out, those are just two small examples of Jesus initiating in a way that is very uh, out of his way, very counter to to cultural, counter to his what we would, I guess, most of us assume is kind of what he's doing, what he's spending with his time going out of his way to do that. Um, And I, I think for me, I can look to Several examples in my life where people have done that for me. They've gone what to me seems out of their way to interact with me and put effort into interacting with me in a way that's not convenient for them. is probably annoying, but they have an intent to pour into me regardless of the fact that it's not convenient. <laughs> so for me, I've had probably that I can think of in my early years of, of kind of starting to follow Jesus when I was a freshman in college about six people that significantly initiated with me, which is a lot. I think God did that because he knew I'd try to weasel my way out of it, you know? I'd try to find some way out by following him. But people like Aaron, who was going to Collin and knew there were Christians here at UNT that he wanted to connect me with. People like a friend of mine named Glenn Lanier, uh, a guy named Chad, who's kind of a legend around here, a guy named Paul, my friend Sean, who's here, and our friend Renee. People that texted me, met me, tried to invite me to stuff. In fact, Glenn and Paul didn't realize it, but they kept inviting me to all the same events. I was getting like the same text messages from them. But basically just people who, who met me once, decided that they wanted to try to invest in me, get me to come around, spend time with them, and there's no real gain for them in that scenario. But they did it anyway. And, um, and for me, when I think back about situations like that, it, it certainly makes me very thankful that God decided to use some regular old people who initiated with me. And those are, there's a lot less difficulty in those situations than I think the ones we're talking about that Jesus showed with Zacchaeus and the Samaritan woman. So uh, then my next point, and this is a guy we're talk about kind of the meat of what Jesus did with Zacchaeus and with the Samaritan woman is just that Jesus was very purposeful with individuals with the one-on-one situation. Jesus was very purposeful in those stories that we have from him, especially in these two that we're talking about today. Jesus catered to what he did and what he said to that individual level. He didn't just say the same thing to everybody. You know, it wouldn't have really made sense for him to approach Zacchaeus and the Samaritan woman in the same way. Um, In our community, we have a similar axiom for this. It's teach the person, not the lesson. Don't just carry around a script in your pocket that you wanna sell everybody, but cater what you say, how you are um, to the person. Meet them where they are at. And Jesus definitely does that with these people. So think back to Zacchaeus. For the details that we have, Jesus did not say much to Zacchaeus. There wasn't a long dialogue like we have with the Samaritan woman. He calls him down from the tree, says, I'm gonna go to your house. Um, And Zacchaeus being a tax collector was hated by almost everybody. Uh, so maybe when Jesus, the son of God, just sought Zacchaeus out to spend time with him, that's all it took. And I could see that being something that Jesus knew right off, the, right off the bat, that he didn't have to do much work with Zacchaeus, that he was ready to go. But Jesus loved Zacchaeus. He cared about him. And he thought that he could change. And by spending time with him and going out of his way to spend one more time with Zacchaeus, he was right. He was proved right. And with the Samaritan woman, this is a much more difficult and involved conversation that it it, it took uh, for Jesus to work through with this woman. But he dialogues with her. He talks with her, answers her questions. Uh, He's willing to do that even though she's kind of short with him. Um, And very quickly gets to the hard stuff that she's dealing with, okay? She's part of a marginalized group, people that aren't really considered to be you know uh, part of the the actual like sons of abraham and, and children of abraham she's not treated well by the jews she's had a very rough history with marriage and relationships and by talking we quickly discover how distant she feels from god she quickly after uh, realizing that she thinks jesus might be a prophet jumps to the fact that the place of worship is in israel in jerusalem not in, uh, not able to be worshipped where she is, but she can't go worship God in, in Israel and in Jerusalem. And so they get to the meat of what she's dealing with pretty quickly. And it's a very unique set of things you used to speak into. You know, that's a unique mix. That's not just the hey, I'll, I'll try what I try with Zacchaeus. Let's do that, that would work with her. Jesus knew that individual interactions, catering to what people need, meeting people where they're at, changes lives. Spending one-on-one time provides space for that to happen. Yeah. Space to adapt to what people need. I think we can agree that Jesus just didn't use the same approach with these people and with many other, pe- many other people that we've seen. Um, and just think about all these, I didn't pick one of them, but think about all the stories we have of Jesus healing people. How he didn't just do, like, have a crowd in front and just think about, okay, if you are, need healing anyway, now you're healed. Jesus could have totally done that, I believe. But we have all these stories of him healing individual people, sitting with them and healing a leper and touching him, healing the crippled man by the pool of Bethesda. Many stories, that I, I very much encourage you to read those. Um, but there's a lot of uh, situations where we can see Jesus opts for this one-on-one type of interaction. Um, and it made a difference to him to not just have somebody be healed in a crowd, one out of a crowd be healed, that it made a difference for him to go out of his way to show not just um, that he could heal their physical body, but to show love to them and spend time with them. That the God of the universe will become a human and then decide, I want to spend one-on-one time with people. I want to sit with this person for a little bit who's been sitting by this pool, who's crippled, who probably doesn't smell great. I want to talk with him a little bit. I think that just shows a lot of, of Jesus' heart for people. He doesn't have this really distant um, view of us as humans, this like idea of us just as this large race sort of without any individual names to it. Just like, oh, the humans down on Earth, yeah, they're, they're pretty cool. He cares about us as individuals. Um, one of the things that came up to me, <laughs> came to mind for me was um, thinking about one of the friends I mentioned who initiated with me as a freshman named Glenn. Um, so I had a, a roommate, a random roommate, uh, mind you, who ended up being super cool. His name, some of you know, may know him, his name is Austin Gage. And Austin and I became super close right out of the gate because we didn't know anybody else, but we discovered that we were both believers uh, on like move-in day. And um, I tried to contact Austin before move-in day, but he is like horrible with technology. And he ended up accepting my Facebook friend request to me back six months later or whatever. So that's a long story. But so Austin and I became attached to at hip pretty quickly. And we would go to all these things that we were invited to together. Even if someone just like texted me and invited me to like, oh, hey, come play board games with us. i would just bring Austin because I was a little bit scared. And he was like sort of my social, um, I don't know, like buddy or whatever. Um, and he was way more outgoing than I was. But at one point, our friend Glenn texted us individually wanting to hang out separately. And I remember being like, oh, hey, like you want to bring Austin though, right? Like I should bring Austin, right? He's like, no, I just wanted to hang out with you. I was like, uh-oh, did I get something wrong? Did I get in trouble? Like, this is, this is not good. Um, and I remember just being so weirded out by that. But it's funny because what, like in retrospect, it was just that like Glenn wanted to know, get to know me. Nothing wrong with hanging out with me and Austin, but the friendship that I got to end up having with that guy, just by getting some one-on-one time with him also, was huge and he really wanted to pour into me and get to know me as an individual and take away my more extroverted, more social friend and get a chance to know me. And uh, but I just remember thinking it was so funny, Austin and I both were a little confused. Like, we were like, made it pretty clear, we're kind of a pair. Like, package deal. <laughs> um, and I, it just meant a lot. And the, the friendship Glenn and I have now is really different. It's really, it's, it's unique. And it makes sense because friends are, friendships are unique. And for what I needed uh, the kind of friend I needed from Glenn, it's probably a little different than what kind of friend Austin needed. So that's just one example that came to mind for me. Um, my third point is that Jesus showed us that our in- individual reactions, interactions sorry, our individual interactions are the building blocks of the kingdom of God. I'll say that again. Jesus showed us that our individual interactions are the building blocks. With the kingdom of God. So this is kind of switching gears a little bit, but I wanted to reference uh, two areas where Jesus just kind of talks about the idea of how we interact with individuals. They're not stories of him interacting with people, but um, in one area in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, this is the situation where um, someone asks Jesus, what are the greatest commandments? And he says, uh, I'll just jump in at 34. When the Pharisees heard he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. And then in Luke, a kind of similar situation comes up, where he shares these same two commands. And somebody asks him, well, who's my neighbor? You know, who do I have to apply this to? this love your neighbor stuff. Who do I apply it to? And that's when Jesus gives the, the story of the Good Samaritan, one that is, like, very known in pop culture, even, about helping somebody who's in need on the road. So Jesus takes this chance to talk about, yeah, love God with everything and love your neighbor, love people, and your neighbor is anybody. So when you pass by on the road, he gives this huge weight to how we treat individuals, even people we don't know at all that we just pass by. A huge, huge weight. That really shows a lot about Jesus' heart to people. And the next is a kind of a similar thing. It's a little bit more extreme. But um, in uh, Matthew 25, verse 31, Jesus starts telling this story about the sheep and the goats. It's a little bit long if you want to follow along. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate them one from another, just as shepherds separate the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink. When did we see you, a stranger, take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. And they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? He'll answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they'll go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now I realize that can seem a little extreme when we're talking about friendships. It's like we're talking about kind of like Ending up from friendships and talking about, hey, we have, we have fun, we like to be buddies, all the way to like talking about eternal fire and stuff. <laughs> so um, let me pull it back just a little bit, but I just think that Jesus makes this point really strongly twice. Once in the commands, and then second in this longer story, that how we treat individuals is of the highest importance. Yeah. We will be judged by that criteria. Um, so much that he has to say about our day-to-day interactions with individuals, is what he's saying we'll be judged by which is interesting i feel like sometimes that's the things we get the least thought to yeah. our just day-to-day interactions as we just kind of drift through life and jesus is is calling us begging us to take those very seriously yeah. so how much more should we also care about our friendships as well yeah. um aren't they not just people that we deal with every day as well and i feel like we're especially at high risk of error on this in our day um, brad talked about text arguments two sermons ago and how how bad he gets into text arguments, I'm not gonna put him down, but I just, I think we all have been there. Even on social media, for instance, where there are so many ways that technology or whatever it is can put layers between us and recognizing that someone's an individual person, they're human, and uh, we can can avoid interacting with them, or we can just lump them in with a group that we don't like. Whatever it is that we do, we find ways, and the ways are very uh, easy to find, to not treat people as an individual human. And I think that that's something that's, we're really in danger of doing that more than maybe perhaps generations before us. But individuals are the building blocks of the kingdom, the building blocks. What is a kingdom but the sum of its individuals, right? It's not just like land or buildings or something. It's the sum of its individuals. What's a community but the sum of its individuals, the sum of its one-on-one relationships? Um, if you have a community of people, but there's no strong one-on-one, what really even is it? Can you really call it a community, or is it just a group of people that happen to kind of all get in the same building once a week or so? Uh, we're not trying to just have that, right? We don't want to just be in the same building once a week. That's why we usually work community a lot. It's a, we're aspiring to that. So, obviously, we've been comparing ourselves to the most perfect human who ever lived for the past however long um, we've been talking. So... What I want to say is, let's bring it down a little bit to our level. We've been comparing ourselves to Jesus, but we don't need to be the Messiah. We already have one, and we need him desperately. Um, but when we're talking about something as important as essential to life as friendships, I think we'd be really stupid not to look to Jesus' life for guidance on what it looks like to do it right all the time. We are not going to do it right all the time. But we should absolutely be looking to Jesus for what it looks like when, treating, when we treat people rightly. So um, I think if we're thinking about things, trying to approach this sermon series as a um, how do we approach friendships, unity, and relationships with a godly mindset, we have to take these characteristics of Jesus with us. So I'm going to say them again in in this context. So let's be people who initiate with the individuals that God puts in our lives. Let's be people who are purposeful with those one-on-one relationships. Let's meet people where they are. Let's help bring them closer to God. And let's be people who treat our one-on-one relationships as the building blocks of community, as the building blocks of the kingdom of God. So those three things, I think we can take away from Jesus' example and put those into our friendships, our day-to-day interactions. So just a little bit of homework. Um, this week, assess how, how well you've initiated with people in your life lately. Don't be too, too hard on yourself, but be honest. And, and spend some time in prayer asking God to reveal to you people he'd like you to reach out to in your life. Maybe they're at your workplace, in your neighborhood, um, at the gym you go to, or the rock climbing gym, or whatever it is. Spend some time praying asking God to reveal those people to you. And the next thing is to assess your current friendships. How purposeful are you with them? In what ways could you be a friend that helps bring them closer to God? And spend some time praying about that. I think a lot of times we kind of do friendship on autopilot. Spending time in prayer, asking God to, to align our hearts with his, Um, I think it's one of the best ways to to get that right, Um, instead of just going on autopilot. I'm going to pray real quick and ask God to do just that for our community. Lord, thank you so much for, one, just the example of your life. Um, It's so challenging to watch how you interact with people. You step into these really difficult situations, love people that many uh, people around you, including your disciples, are probably a little bit confused about and wish you hadn't talked to. Um, Lord, thanks for giving us such a good, but also challenging example. Uh, Lord, we really need you. We really need you to help us understand how to approach friendships. We really need uh, your guidance on how to treat people. Left on our own, we really don't make the right call on that kind of stuff. But I just ask that you'd help each of us individually in our hearts, that you just reveal to us people that we can reach out to that you've placed in our lives. People who, some one-on-one time, would just make a huge difference. It's not that hard to initiate. right? Lord, help us just to ask them to grab coffee or lunch or whatever it is, God. Open that door. Help us overcome whatever it is that gets in the way, whether it's busyness or you know, fear, so to speak, or... Um, or just not noticing? I don't know, Lord. We just ask that your Holy Spirit would be with each one of us. Help us to see people like you see people, see opportunities like you see them, and not be hesitant to step into them. But thank you so much for the gift that you give us of your friendship, that you are someone who would come sit down beside us, who wouldn't just be one of a crowd to you, For thanks that we're an individual human that you love and created, Help us to view others that way. In heart, amen. amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.